Hello and welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast, your source for discussion about animation, film, fandom, and more. So please join your host, I Love Kim Possible a Lot, or KP, and Lauren Kizich, the Abbey Roadie, for today's discussion. If you like what you hear, please remember to support by giving a like, a follow, as well as subscribing to the main I Love Kim Possible a Lot channel on YouTube. Spread the word and keep being a part of a great community. This episode is appropriate for all ages. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week of animation communication. I'm your host's person, KP, and then I have Lauren, as usual. Hi, Lauren. Yes, hello. Lauren Lauren (laughs) exists. So, um, again, we're still under quarantine, so we thought we'd be extra mean and taunt you with um, our Disneyland episode, or one of many Disneyland episodes, depending on if we, you know want to like eventually go to the park and do like a live episode i don't know we'll figure it out that requires buying a camera and i'm like free money what is money so this is the general like um the the general intro of disneyland um giving some history of the park um how it generally affects the entertainment industry as a whole um you know and then tips and tricks from um our our guest ariel who is actually a uh, disneyland cast member say hi ariel Howdy. Okay. And what do you do at Disneyland specifically? I am a host at the uh, at a restaurant. I work at the Blue Bayou. I'm sorry. I make magic at the Blue Bayou. There you uh, go. <laughs> you make magic. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and what is the Blue Bayou for those who are unfamiliar with Disneyland in general? Blue Bayou is either known as the most fanciest restaurant or the most expensive but I assure you it's worth the price. And um, what's nice about it, it is the Pirates of the Caribbean restaurant. So when you get on board, when you're going down that river in the bayou, that restaurant you see to the right that is not fake, is actual real people dining, that's me. You can usually see me walking around. (laughs) (laughs) So give her a wave. (laughs) Right on the boat. Please, I'll wave back. Well, (laughs) When it comes back. (laughs) <laughs> if we can see each other, but it's it's dark on the boat. So um, anyway, so we'll talk about also general Disneyland layout and stuff like that. If you're generally an American, you have some general ideas about Disneyland, you know, the classic, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean and Haunted Mansion and um, what's another good classic? Uh, Space Mountain. So we'll get into that. We'll get into, um, I guess, some recent additions. And then like when I say recent, I mean like 90s, early 2000s recent has there any been like really really recent stuff um ariel besides uh pixar pier and that kind of thing well the newest addition to disneyland was galaxies or star wars galaxy's edge great great addition um our newest one that we're working on is avengers campus and then uh, we Mm -hmm. also just released uh, magic happens the parade um a month ago Sadly, it's only been out for a week before the virus, <laughs> but when it's back, go watch it. It's, in my opinion, it's one of the best parades that they've had in a long while. Um, yeah. I know Disney's been posting uh, virtual parades, so to speak, on their social media. So they did, to, to promote the parade, they did post a, quote, virtual version of Magic Happens. So I was able to catch that. So I hope I can go see it one day. 
in person. What a time to be alive. <laughs> and um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Magic Happens has some um, more obscure stuff, too. They have like things like the Sword of the Stone as a float oh, yes. and some other stuff. That, that, I love that float. That, that's is... fun. It's cause, especially because you don't get to see Merlin or um, Arthur. Yeah. One of the best floats. I love it. It's, lo- it's really funny. Yeah, I just... Fun fact, Mer- Merlin was at my birthday party when I turned like, six. <laughs> Because I went to Club Disney. That's a whole other thing we can go into in this in this podcast in the history of Disney if we had uh, to. But, I'm yeah. jealous because um, um, these two ch- children grew up in California. So they're just like, oh, I'll just go to Disney. It's fine. And I'm just like, I hate you. <laughs> so um, they'll probably have a more um, just kind of general knowledge about Disneyland as a whole than I will. But because I've had to learn everything from the comfort of my um east coast home for the most part because i'm not in california right now because there's like a plague going on or something like that so to be fair to be fair kp you are you were closer to uh florida so you were closer to disney world than we were i mean that's that's true but florida isn't like down the street kind of kind of thing so it's not like you know (laughs) let's just go to disneyland on sunday like florida is a whole like 10 hour schlep down so you have to like plan yeah. and get a hotel and all this stuff and you know it's but anyway it's 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 fine so okay so um lauren as usual does the news so lauren what is the newest news of this reporting that will date it considerably okay so ironically don't have much in terms of disney news for a disney episode but not as much has been going on in the disney realm uh other than guess to timestamp this episode uh daisy made her debut on the ducktales show ducktales 2017 which is now 2020 (laughs) everybody calls it 2017 though but uh yeah she made her debut last night um and then uh we also have news on the front for scoob movie from warner brothers uh everybody was kind of wondering what the fate of that movie is going to be given the coronavirus effect uh so at one point, they did, they did. I guess they were delaying the movie from theatrical release, so people didn't know when it was going to come out. And now we finally have word that it's not going to come out in theaters at all. It's actually going straight to VOD on uh, May fifteenth, which was was going to be its original theatrical release. Uh, I was really hoping to see it in theaters, but I'll take what I can get. I am still going to pay to to watch it because the movie deserves all of that support. Hopefully we can continue to get uh, more of that Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe that they're trying to build up and that Scoob is a good entry at the forefront of this universe that they're trying to establish um, because I think it's it's great to kind of reboot and refresh these properties without making them so different from their origins. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to go about it, especially because um, Turner owns uh, like Hidden Barbera at this point, correct? Okay, so they have they have access to the whole library, but you know, I think Scooby Doo is like the one of the few ones. I mean, the Flintstones has um, uh, re- revive attempts every like couple years or so, and the Jetsons like you know maybe once or twice a decade of that because the Jetsons is I guess like so slowly sneaking up on us. But Scoob is the only one, I think, or Scooby-Doo, um, I keep on saying Scoob, but anyway, um, Scooby-Doo is the only one that I think that's continually making content between um, the the TV show versions. There's always a new Scooby-Doo version, or Scooby-Doo um, cartoon after 
old ones to get done. Watch Mysterio Incorpor- Incorporated. That's the best one. Um, mm-hmm. And Pup Names Scooby Doo is fun too. Um, and then they have all. And there's also Guess Who, which we had Steven Silver on recently to talk yeah, about. Yeah, go, go <laughs> watch that. Yeah, Guess Who is, Guess Who is um, cute and fun. Um, and if, if you like famous people that are drawn into Scooby Doo, and it's very classic as far as the art style, and, you know, it's um, a good replica of, you know, what was it based on? The, the, there was an older version, series version. I can't remember off the top of my head, but what. Oh. Guess Who is basically an homage to all of the celebrity guest star episodes they had in the 70s for Scooby-Doo, which were episodes like they had Batman and Robin and the Harlem Globetrotters. And like, like, I mean, they had, you know, other properties and then also actual celebrities teaming up with the Scooby-Doo gang to solve mysteries. So uh, Guess Who is pretty much that, but updated. So, like, you have uh, guests like Penn and Teller, and uh, I think Alice Cooper was a re- was a guest on there as well. So, I mean, it's like they have a whole variety of people on there. Um, but yeah, and uh, Stephen Silver worked as a character designer on that, so he got to work on translating these newer celebrities and newer, uh, uh, you know, uh, IP characters into the show. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if that old Scooby Doo was called something, but I think it's just Scooby Doo, and like it's it's still called Scooby Doo and Guess Who, right? I think I'll Google it later. It's fine. Um, we're supposed to be the experts, but it's it's fine. Um, yeah. Any any other news? Is is that it really? <laughs> uh, it's kind of a slow news week, otherwise. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, if we're yeah, in terms of entertainment, yeah, not a whole lot happening there. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll have more by the next episode, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's as as of right now. (laughs) At least we had some word on Scoob, so we'll see how that happens for other theatrical releases that were slated this year. We still have other movies like Soul that's still, I mean, it was just, uh, pushed back, but it's, um, still slated for theatrical release. Then you have, uh, you know, other movies that we're still waiting on word if they're gonna go just straight to VOD, so we'll see. We'll see. Did Pearl's World World Tour do? There you go. Actually, it did really it well. Actually, it well? did really well. Yeah, actually, it did. Yeah, and so they and so Universal was actually really happy with the results of that. So again, this this was the a, a turning point movie. This was like testing grounds and a turning point. And so, uh, what began as just kind of like a guinea pig kind of <laughs> project to have uh, Trolls World Tour be VOD and theatrical at the same time. Uh, yeah, apparently it's been doing really well, and it's gotten a lot of positive responses, and I personally watched it, and I loved it, so I think there was, in terms of, like, an overall, like, world development and story, I, I think I liked it all better than the first movie, but I think there, in terms of, I don't know if it was just the, just because I know the story better to the first one, and you know, it's kind of like when the first one establishes a story and then the sequel, you're like, okay, I have to kind of get used to the story before it becomes a memorable story to me. <laughs> um, it still has to settle in on the second one, but I did enjoy it a ton. And I kind of wanted the Rock Trolls to win. <laughs> Mostly because their covers were really good. <laughs> Edgy boys. The music's awesome. The music's awesome in the mu- movie, I'm not going to lie. Especially with how they were developing each 
realm of trolls and each kingdom of trolls based on a genre of music that was really cool and they each had their own string that was an embodiment of their culture and their music and everything that they were so and it's an infinity gauntlet style kind of but with guitar strings <laughs> i wish they uh, i'm really glad they didn't call it uh trolls too they called it something different <laughs> but that's just a personal preference i guess all right. Um, yeah, again, not really much going on entertainment-wise because everything is dead. Um, there's tons of new stuff on Disney+, Plus, though, from what I can tell. So go watch Disney+, Plus as usual. Um, did you see the promo for the new um, Bill Farmer thing where he's going to, like, be hanging out with doggos and stuff? I kind of I, I think I saw a teaser for it. I don't, um, yeah, talk about a little about that here. Oh, I just saw a teaser for it, too, so I don't know when it's coming out. It's probably coming out soon, but um, basically... The, the the Disney Plus platform is, again, like as I predicted, giving more flexibility to um, what kind of content is going on there and not necessarily things that are traditional. Like, so Bill Farmer is the, um, the, the voice of Goofy. He's been the voice of Goofy for like 20 years. So he's been Goofy in like a Goofy movie, like pretty much anything they need him for, like parks wise, you know, things like DuckTales, the new DuckTales. He was, he's still Goofy in the new DuckTales. Um. I, I assume Kingdom Hearts, he was Goofy in Kingdom yes. Hearts. Yeah, yeah I think so. he's been the steady voice of Goofy for 30-odd years. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, over 30 years, he's been the voice of Goofy. So, um, but no one would really know who he is except these, like, people like us who are just really into animation and know all the voice actors and, like, can tell their ranges and, like, it's like a drinking game, guys. Um, I think I've made that joke before. But anyway, um, so I think what he's doing is he's just, it's it's very, like, aimed at younger audiences from what the the promo um seemed like but you know he's going to people that have like not breed maybe like um animal shelters and things like that and interacting with all different types of dogs and giving some background to you know um i guess like you know what they're trained for what are their pros and cons you know just some good fo- footage of Bill Farmer with some doggos. So, and he's like probably in his, from what I, from guessing, probably mid sixties, early seventies kind of looking guy. But um, yeah, he's like I'm. I'm glad they're doing stuff like that where they're incorporate incorporating some of these people that you know most people have heard, but they wouldn't think that you know there's someone who's on Disney's payroll who just comes back and does the voice for Goofy or the voice the the voice for Minnie. I think died last year or the the most recent one. So, um, you know, yeah, yay, yay, Disney Plus. Good job. But like that's something that wouldn't be necessarily on the Disney Channel. It wouldn't it it might not be even in the parks unless they're like promoting some kind of, you know, charity thing that they're doing with a local organization. So, um, yay, Disney Plus giving some um some flexibility to kind of what content um they're doing and having people learn about Disney from like all sorts of different avenues and not necessarily just the more mainstream cartoons and like the stuff that's that's programmed to be you know targeted to a specific um demographic so you know but that's my rant okay so today is the the Disneyland history episode and and plus some so I'm gonna let Ariel talk a little bit um because we we haven't really been letting her talk that often because the news takes forever so if you're if you're coming back to this and you're like, this news isn't relevant to me, it's like the year 2025, then just just skip it. It's fine. 
Um, so Ariel, tell us about Disneyland. How did it happen? So Disneyland started off as just an idea, a, a dream by Walt Disney. He was at, um, it was what they called a daddy day, where he would take his two daughters with like $2 and they'd go do something together. His daughters wanted to go on a merry-go-round. And being an adult, he can't ride it. So while he would watch his daughters, he thought to himself, I wish there was a place where both the parent and the kid can have fun together. And on that bench, Disneyland came to mind. And from that point on, his heart was set on this dream. And he would do anything, no matter what it takes, to make that dream come true. He originally wanted to build it um, just across the street from Disney Animation Studios in Burbank. They, they thought it was, first off, they thought it was a crazy idea that would just be pointless and it was, it would be too much in the city. So he eventually went around looking for park ideas. Where can he place it? Anaheim was probably at the time just a bunch of groves and very dead. That, that's all it was, just orange groves and citrus groves as far as the eye can see. And because land was cheap and open, he decided to plant his stake there and make that Disneyland. Uh, when he would propose this idea to people to build this lo- um, within this location, a lot of people doubted him. And they were like, well, how would people know about this? This is away from like the busy roads and busy living areas. Like, why would you build this in the middle of nowhere? Mm-hmm. But Walt wouldn't have that. Now, he struggled with money in general because he kept p- pushing the boundaries with his animation. Now, to get a theme park, especially during the time where theme parks were really going downhill in the States and in the world in general, no one's going to find anything like that. So it was just thought to be a pipe dream. He decided to then make a TV series to fund the park and advertise it. So this series ended up becoming very popular and a lot of people interested. And so... He would showcase his ideas and the making of, of Disneyland as it went on. Most of his money, he had, to, he had to beg and beg from loans that he poured every penny that was in his pocket into it. Even the people who he was working with at the time, they actually donated their money to see this dream come true. So you never know. You know, just have the right, the right people and you can get your dream off the porch. Yeah, and it helped. You know, he had a lot of people that it, like, he was he was selective about the people who worked with him, and so and he knew he had in his mind the right people to work on the park with him because he could see who else could visualize and be a visionary like he was uh, on a lot of attractions and it, like before long before he even broke ground on where Disneyland would be. It's like he, even as far back as when he was planning it in uh, Burbank to be another, to be an amusement park in Burbank, uh, real close to the studio, basically across the street, um, that he was picking people who he knew would tell, he wanted them to tell stories from, you know, basically he wanted them to tell some stories that they wanted to tell based on, you know, some of the the ideas that he had in his head, like, well, I want a haunted house. Who's got ideas for a haunted house? Can you work on that? Here, you, 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 and you work on some ideas for a haunted house and see what we could do to make it fantastic. 
in or here's what can we have to go around the park trains oh my god i love trains we gotta have trains <laughs> so i mean i like trains all, <laughs> i like trains but yeah it was in in i mean walt always loved trains and that's why it's like at one point with the park there were like an early incarnation of incarnation of the park it was like uh for four different trains basically all over the park he loved trains this was basically disneyland was basically what he wanted for families to be able to enjoy and at the same time he also wanted a place to have trains <laughs> i want my trains damn it <laughs> <laughs> what's nice about the train at disneyland that it really does bring together all the lands so it is it in itself a symbol of like walt bringing all of it together it's, mm-hmm. it's got dinosaurs on it too, which is neat. <laughs> <laughs> which is fun because originally the dinosaurs themselves were used for the uh, the the World Science Fair, I believe it was called. Yep, the nineteen sixty four World's Fair, as a lot of Disney files will know, it was a it was a staple in Disney history. It was a huge turning point as well. Four attractions came out of it, yeah. Yeah, and then. Uh, yeah, because the World Showcase, like a lot of that kind of, a lot of those displays and presentations, they were either going to be, I mean, before Disney, before going to Disney, they were either going to be scrapped or they were going to be maybe put somewhere else, but it's like, it would like archived somewhere, but not very likely. They were just used as like basically advertising and showcases for technology and for what the, what companies were promoting as their new technology coming out. So, basically, Disney was going to be, Disney stepped forward to be the new home for a lot of these displays. And that's, and plus it also meant, you know, partnerships with these companies to help have sponsors for these attractions. So, it was a, it was a major win for Disney to not only promote themselves with these sponsors and to also put forward all of this new technology, the basically the whole I, the concept of audio animatronics was because of the world world's fair and uh, you know, and Abe Lincoln was the, the first one to be put in there uh, as the major, as the most advanced of the uh, audio animatronics. It was so advanced. People didn't believe that it was real. So to test it, they would actually throw coins at the animatronic to see if he'd flinch because they were so convinced it was an actual person. Mm-hmm. And it was also, I think, if I rem- if I recall this correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, he was originally on uh, a certain hydraulic system that had a red fluid running through said tubes. And at one point, uh, I think they were either during test, I think it was during testing or it may have even been at the fair. I think it was actually at the fair that one of the tubes came undone in in the audio animatronic and he fell over and started like oozing this red liquid from the hydraulics and somebody said somebody shot Abe Lincoln again. Oh my god. Oh, no. <laughs> and the, so that's when they opted to switch to like a, a more translucent liquid to be running through the hydraulics after that but <laughs> If I recall correctly, that's what happened is that they, originally they had a red fluid that was like made to be it was meant to be lubricated enough to like run through the system fine. But yeah. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> Disney did use a lot of um, they they did use a lot of donations um, like because they they gave um, they were given money for 
for that event, so they didn't actually pay it all by themselves. But Disney was honestly built by the help of others, like the um, in Adventureland, most of the trees, or practically all the trees, were actually rejected trees from people within Orange County. Um, so uh, they put out an ad and said, if you want a tree removed, we'll take it from you. And so they used all that to put into Adventureland. So those were all technically donated by people. It's amazing. And, and a lot of them still stand today. So there's a lot of trees that are still there from that time. Shows the, you how old trees speak. <laughs> trees the, are. Actually, <laughs> the, the, oldest, <laughs> the oldest it's, tree in Adventureland, is, I, I believe, is around 112. Um, yeah. It's the big palm tree that stands between the um, uh, the Fast Pass, jungle? the next to the Jungle Cruise, and uh, the Indiana Jones Adventure. Yes. And that was actually donated by a family, wasn't it? A family that lived on a plot of land around that area because it was, uh, what was it? Called. It was the, it was they named it after the family because it was donated to them by the family that lived there. The name escapes yeah. me, but that is correct. If, yeah. If you guys it know was... the name, please leave in the comments so we don't have to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> Considering I'm running off of things out of my head right now, I'm like I'm trying to remember all of this stuff, but I do remember. Yes, you are correct. It was um, the oldest tree there is a palm and it was donated by a family that lived on the plot of land there so yeah all right can you can continue your story ariel i am i am drinking my water (laughs) so disneyland was built in a year so a lot of things were rushed they even had moments where the workers were upset with walt of how much they were working and just with the money and they're like this is not going to work how are we going to get all these things working in under a year but with hard work and determination and being hopeful because walt was a man who can sweet talk you into anything (laughs) almost every person who's worked for disney during that time frame they all said the same thing he can sweet talk you into anything after much convincing on july 17th of 1955 on opening day of disney they didn't exactly think there was going to be that many people, but they were wrong. Crowds from beyond the further I can see were showing up. And the very first ticket bought was actually by Roy Disney, his brother, for a dollar. Compared to now, which is like 90-something, but... It's, <laughs> and they just it's, ma- it's amazing how times... Yes, they did. <laughs> But Roy was the very first person to purchase a ticket for Disneyland. Now, the problem with opening up that day, it was the hottest day of the year. (laughs) Well, yes, but it was also the hottest day of the year. So it was dubbed Black Sunday um, because the asphalt was like melting. So women who would wear high heels, their heels would sink into the asphalt. (laughs) And on top of that, because everything was rushed and they didn't expect this many people to show up. Now, mind you, all this advertisement was like everywhere because of the TV show. They had billboards, they had showcases. People also made counterfeit tickets as well <laughs> and would jump the fence. So they, they couldn't even keep track of how many people there were. But, weren't there people that were paying to like climb a ladder over the wall into Disneyland pretty much? It was kind of like 
Yeah, there's yeah. basically a lot of like side gigs people were doing to get people in. <laughs> you gotta hustle, but... man. <laughs> it's called a hustle, sweetheart. Oh, Lauren, be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a good movie, and I love that quote. <laughs> but everything itself was just falling apart. Like the teacups, their joints were breaking. They said that they pretty much like the, they were cracking beneath the um, Autotopia cars, especially because back then they weren't they didn't have a track to be on. They were completely free roaming cars. So people would be crashing into each other. They literally had people who would jump the line, go Grand Theft Auto and like kick people out of their cars to drive. <laughs> so that was just one of the many, many problems that was just going on. On top of that, vending machines ran out of food. Um, and everyone was just, they had no water or anything like that. Their Walt spent so much time on like, the attractions and like had very few bathrooms that he didn't think enough about putting in a bunch of water fountains. So everyone was just dying of heat that day. And this black Sunday, as people's calls it, um, it received very poorly. And this whole day was considered a complete flop yet. People still wanted more Disneyland that day opened with 18 attractions from today, 14 of those attractions actually still are live. It's amazing. Because, it's, yeah. It's crazy. It and considering, uh, I believe at that time, uh, I know Disney wanted to open Tomorrowland with the park, with like a whole bunch of attractions. But there were so many that weren't ready that he was basically trying to push for all of these attractions to be in every land. He was, I know he, I know it's because like uh, on his, uh, on his like on wonderful world of Disney, he was talking about, uh, you know, all of these different lands that were in development and Tomorrowland was the one that he never seemed to bring up because it was like not, there was not enough development for that area, but he always, you know, being a futurist, and being a progressive, he always wanted to, uh, he, he always loved the idea of the future and of making a better tomorrow. And that's why we have Epcot. Um, Yay. <laughs> um, that was his big Tomorrowland project. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. Tomorrowland, when, the, when the Tomorrowland gonna, he wanted to build. My, my, my bad joke. It's like, when are you going to get to that? And it's like, ah, oh, it's Tomorrowland. We'll just do it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And meet the Robinsons that the, they... They poke a, they poke fun at it and call it Todayland. Yeah, because <laughs> wasn't that actually like a, wasn't that like actually based on a real joke that people used to call Tomorrowland Todayland? Well, if you're already in tomorrow, then it is today. Yeah, so, <laughs> because it, and and yeah, I remember it was something like he didn't have enough ready on opening day, so he kept trying to like add more. If I, I may be remembering it wrong, but he was trying to get sponsors to get, you know, showcases in into Tomorrowland to make it as fleshed out as possible for opening day. And one of those displays, if I remember, was sponsored by Dutch Boy Paints. And it was talking about like the wonders of colors of paints. And it was essentially a it was essentially watching paint dry. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorites is the uh, the plastic home. The uh, 
when they tore it down, they couldn't even get a wrecking ball to tear it down, that it was literally indestructible. They tried so yeah. hard. <laughs> the house of the future. Uh, it was the, yeah, because plastic at the time was a brand new, it was a, it was a brand new material. And so they were trying to promote it as truly the material of the future, just like aluminum was another one that they were trying to promote in Tomorrowland as well. I mean, were, uh, were, so were they wrong, though? I'm. The thing is, the way they were implementing it for at least, well, I mean, with plastic, they did it right. With the aluminum, they didn't promote it in the right ways because they were trying to showcase, oh, if we want to make sure that aluminum is is the metal of the future, we got to put it on everything, including the bumpers on our cars in Autopia. Um, if you know anything about aluminum, it bends really easily. It also protects you from aliens trying to get into your brain. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, not, yeah, they, they, they quickly took the, the bumpers off, the aluminum bumpers off of the... Uh, Autopia cars when when that wasn't working out. They could put it on other things, but not, not so much that. And also, they tried to build the rocket in Tomorrowland out of aluminum. And the thing is, it expanded and contracted according to the heat of the day. So you would constantly hear the rocket creaking throughout the day <laughs> because of the heat of the beating sun. That's reassuring. <laughs> The problem with Tomorrowland, where he struggled so much, is also because, well, how do you define tomorrow? It's always changing. Mm -hmm. So trying to find a concept of it. That's why over the years, Tomorrowland has has been one of the hardest lands to update because we don't know what tomorrow holds. That's why Tomorrowland that we have is based off general ideas, such as the ability to... um, uh, like um, like human ability to produce food. Everything within Tomorrowland is actually edible. All the plants are edible, and they represent how humans can thrive um, and uh, with the production of food, which is funny because considering today, most food is kind of fake. <laughs> so question, but there's hope. <laughs> do people try to eat the food in Tomorrowland? Uh, I, I, I have caught people doing it before. <laughs> I, I was gonna say I'm like I don't know how how I don't know if enough people know that they can eat it, but maybe the Disney diehards try. <laughs> we, it's edible. We just don't recommend you eat it. Like um, they used to have a strawberry patch on um, right where the Astro Blasters are, and mm. I once caught this like mom and kid picking the strawberries and eating it right as they were waiting in line. <laughs> they also had like a, uh, I think it was like a cabbage or something or some type of like lettuce like thing. I'm pretty sure it was oh. a cabbage. But next to the uh, Astro Burger, and mm. this one guy just picks up and walks away with it. <laughs> I, was I was like, oh, say, that happened. <laughs> like cabbage, kale, that kind of stuff. Like the Something stuff like that's that. Hearty. Like I think if I remember, because also kale, we think of eating it. But if you look at it, it, sometimes you might even see it in like flower bouquets because it's a very, it can be very colorful. Like so much so that it's like, when you accompany it with other flowers, you wouldn't think anything else of it but yeah that's another thing (laughs) but um but yeah another a recent change actually that disney has put in is the uh and the official name of it the french fry rocks have been are in the process of being removed right now in the parks but Mm. a lot of people don't realize that their official name when they put them in was french fry rocks 
<laughs> to be honest, when I was a kid, I th- I called him Pride Rock. <laughs> I mean, they, they. I think like even my brother and I always called them French fries. So because I'm like, <laughs> I mean, what else do they look like other than French fries? It's like geodes. Okay, sure, but French fries. <laughs> I think I think we missed the Westward Ho wagon a little too much. <laughs> you kids. Um, anything else, Ariel, about history to, to educate the masses? So uh, a lot of um, fun stuff about Disneyland is that in the making of it, that they uh, he pulled certain people from his production teams for the Disney, from the Disney animation teams. Uh, one of them was John Hench, uh, who worked in the animation studio. He was known for bringing color into the into the animations, and he wanted him specifically to bring color to Disneyland. So he was one of the many few of the of like the real founding fathers or whatever you want to call it um of Disney that most of the people were people who just did animation. They just drew, they just painted. No, he literally would grab them and say, "Hey, I need you to like make this for me." And so they would be forced to learn how to do something. I can't remember his name, but he was an autom- uh he worked in automotives and he worked with Autotopia. And he straight up told the the guy, he goes, I need you to make me a roller coaster. And he was like, I'm sorry, what? And he goes, I need you to learn trigonometry and make me a roller coaster. And that roller coaster was actually the Matterhorn. The Matterhorn was the first thrill light in Disneyland. It was also the very first tubular steel roller coaster, along with the first roller coaster that's able to handle multiple uh, cars at once. It was very advanced for at the time, and on top of that, he would also turn to him and said, hey, I kind of also need you to have a hole in the mountain and have people travel through it. <laughs> there, there was a saying that went around with, the, uh, with them that if you pointed out a problem to Walt Disney, he would just straight up say, well, fix it, and he would put that project on you. So that, yeah. was, a, that was a really fun um experience for some frustrating at the time but fun and uh one fun fact about that is that people who generally work for the Matterhorn they get to actually sign their name inside any of the beams or in any location within the mountain nice so you get to um once you work that attraction you actually become part of it uh different attractions um or even like the restaurants in Disney they have their own traditions and it's it's pretty cool because everyone has their own culture. I myself am still learning about the other cultures within Disney, but Disney is honestly a place where everyone is family. And Walt really pushed really hard in the, when he made this to make sure everyone felt like they were part of it. He really wanted people to bring in their ideas and he would basically like would fund them. Like he would tell them, go do what you need. We got you. We got you, fam. He he would first he would pitch that idea, then he'd um he would turn to them and say, What do I need to do? And then they would say, You need to do this, and he goes, You got this. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's what's was really cool and what a whole lot of people I feel you know, so many people seem to try to I think it's because everyone's kinda jaded, but when so many people try to have like this negative perception of who Disney was, they fail to see 
he was a driven man, but he was also like he also tried to be, you know, that's why they call him Uncle Walt. He tried to be that uncle kind of figure, a father figure essentially to the people he worked with. And it's because he wanted to be that mentor. He wanted to help people become their best selves and to work on their best stuff because he believed in the talent that he had. And, um, I mean, he wouldn't have gotten where he was without them. So it's kind of like when you think, oh, he demanded this and that. It's like, it's almost like having a strict art teacher, you know, as much as you think, oh, I get told this and that and this and that. And when it's actually all meant to help you. And that's essentially what he did is he, even if he said, look, we'll go fix it. Well, yeah, it was something that had to be fixed. And if anything, that's what helped develop Imagineering and help them become a stronger, I think it helped them become a, a stronger group. And, and, and they continue to learn from the mistakes and to continue to learn from the mishaps so that they could keep getting better. And so it was just, I mean, we wouldn't have the most incredible attractions and the ones that everybody is so devoted to that they don't want them to change. I mean, you already know you're doing something right. If you get to a point with an attraction that it looks and looks and it feels so right, you wouldn't want to change a thing about it. And uh, and that's because Walt had that vision and he saw that his teammates, his the people he worked with had that same vision and wanted to like bring these things to life. And he's like, go for it. I believe in this. Let's just do it. So, I mean, yeah, he believed in that passion. You know, passion fueled a lot of that. Everything, pretty much. Walt really was a man who showed that you need to fail in life in order to succeed. Even when he was just doing the animation before Disney even started, everything, like, was just, he was barely getting by. He was in debt. But he kept pushing on, and he kept improving. And that's why... One of the most important symbols, especially to cast members, is the lamp inside his window. And Mm -hmm. uh, right above the firehouse um, on Main Street, USA, which is also based off his hometown, Marceline of Missouri, he, he would always leave the light on every time he was within the park. So that was always a big sign that you better be on your best behavior because the boss is here. When Walt Mickey's passed here? away, <laughs> <laughs> yes, when Walt passed away, it was very devastating that a lot of people didn't know how to cope with it because when he was gone, they they realized that he did so much for them. They thought that they did all the work, but they wouldn't have done this work without him. Mm-hmm. And so when they keep that lamp on, and this lamp has never been turned off, when they keep that lamp on, it's just, it's to remember that we're not alone and that mm-hmm. he's always here with us. Very, very inspiring. When I walk past that every day to my location, it honestly fills me with a lot of hope. And I, I feel very good about myself. Even like just walking through the park, it's great to know that I am where the, the one of the greatest men have ever stood. Because a dream... It's not that far off with just a little work. Yeah. He was, like, so incredibly hardworking and so ambitious that, I mean, he he was a man with a dream. He saw what he wanted, and he fought for it tooth and nail. And, And, I mean, he sacrificed so much to make it a reality. 
And and that was not even just because of Disneyland. Even before that, like with Snow White, he gambled everything he could, that everything he had to make sure that Snow White was a success. He and his team gave up so much to be able to make that movie what it was, and it ended up being a hit. Like the the what they did, the hard work that they put into was worth it. And the same thing was seen with Disneyland. Even with a disastrous opening day, people still were like, I want to come back and I still want to see what else you can do. I want to see how this park will grow. I want to see what you have. Because they believe, because the people believed in that, and so did the team. And so did Walt. I think that's, I think that's to me, it's still so inspiring. This podcast episode is sponsored by the Walt Disney Company. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even, I don't even, it's like, yeah, it's, I don't have to be an employee of Disney to be able to, I know it sounds like singing the praises unabashedly, but it's, there is so much good that, the, that Disney has done. And um, I know it's just like, it sounds like it's just glorifying Disney, but I mean, it's, it's I mean, they have done a lot of good and they have been an inspirational company. Uh, and again, it all started, all started with a guy who had a dream about things it was just he had a vision and he was a creative and he and he wanted other people to share their dreams too and he wanted to make sure it was a place that everybody could enjoy when it came down to disneyland so yeah he was honestly he even for a lot of celebrities such as like steve martin he was literally the beginning of their career there are so many people even other companies today probably wouldn't have been invented or even creative if it wasn't for Disney being their inspiration. Mm-hmm. Like Studio Ghibli, he um, Hayao Miyazaki was so inspired by Disney and what he did. And that's why he wanted to bring like whimsical magic to Japan. He was just the pioneer of so many that honestly so much of today just would not exist without it. That makes me think of Nara Dreamland too, which was originally uh the uh, the founder of Nara Dreamland, which was essentially what was originally going to be, hopefully, at least in the in the creator's mind, the first Disneyland out the, the first Disneyland outside of the U.S. Um, he was so inspired by Disneyland, walking around in Disneyland, that he's like, if I partnered up with Walt, I could make this happen for him here. We could we could truly make a Disneyland in. Uh, in in Japan and make that the first one outside of the country. <laughs> Oof. Uh, and Walt was originally on board with it too. Um, but if I remember, there was almost uh, there was like a licensing disagreement or something like that going forward. So the park had already been almost completely built. Most of it had been already built by that point. Uh, and so when the deal fell through, they still had like the castle in place. They still had right. They had they had teacups. Did the teacup rides? They had you know storybook, storybook boat ride. They had this and that. I mean, it was basically gonna be a Disneyland for Japan. So what happened is they had to rebrand everything, but they kept everything pretty. But they kept all the like the structural stuff the same. So uh, and that ran and that that park was around for almost fifty years, if I remember. Yeah, almost fifty. Yeah, I think it was like yeah, maybe it was fifty years, something like that. And uh, sadly it went down when Disney actually did bring in a, a Disney park 
an official Disney park to uh, to Japan when Tokyo uh, when Tokyo Disneyland was brought in, and that was the first. Uh, yeah, that was the first park outside the U.S. What's funny about the Tokyo Disney is that it's technically not owned. Like it's not owned by Disney. It's actually the because there's a rule in Japan that you cannot own land within Japan. It's more like they sponsor it. Which is why usually Tokyo Disneyland has their own set of rules and regulations when it comes to uh, the park itself, which often is very different compared to like to, uh, France or like Florida or anything like that. Um, even re- like Shanghai is different. Yeah, if I remember, wasn't it like the? I think the company's called the Oriental Land Company. They were the ones that basically called the shots on the park and said like, "Oh, do." You know, they because Disney didn't own the land, they had the land. So they were like, you know, you can do this and that with the park. Um, and actually, they were pretty open as to what the Imagineers were brought over, were brought over to do, because there was a lot more exploration of new properties and stuff like and new stories. Uh, because there were some, there was a number like uh, a number of attractions that couldn't be copy pasted over to. Tokyo because of the cult because of the culture cultural difference like uh, haunted mansion you couldn't have haunted mansion uh isn't it like in Tokyo you can have haunted mansion or is it in Shanghai uh it was in Shanghai, Shanghai because they have a different belief in the afterlife system than ghosts and goblins and so they had to make American so they had to make uh the Mystic Manor which as if if mm-hmm. some of you have been to Shanghai Disney um. They they do have this uh, particular attraction, which is their version of the Haunted Mansion without the ghosts. It's pretty much about a music box, an enchanted music box that has magic that brings items to life. So uh, it's more whimsical and not as dark, but it does have dark elements to it, but n- no death. <laughs> kind of like Pandora's it, box. Yeah. It's like a, like a sprung of chaos. And what's, uh, I believe it's for Mystic Manor, uh, I believe Danny Elfman actually did the music to that too. Yes, and that and that's why like I love listening to the score for that for that ride because it's just it's so Elfman esque that you're just like, mm, that's so nice. It's it's that's a spicy meatball. <laughs> oh that, it's, what's uh, what's interesting is that the haunted um, um, the haunted mansion technically exists in every single park. However, there are different variants of it, and each, uh, I believe, each Haunted Mansion is actually placed in a different type of land that they don't actually repeat, such as, like, New Orleans technically doesn't exist in any other parks. Mm-mm. So it's interesting how when this company has built these other lands, how they had to go about it and where they had to fit it. Because in other locations, they're like, okay, well, pirates is more of an adventure thing. Well, pirates is like this kind of thing. It's, um, which is what's interesting of how Disney handles cultural differences. Um, even when it comes to, um, like, when, back when Tower of Terror, well, technically Florida still has it. But mm-hmm. when they had Tower of Terror, I can't remember if it was Japan or Hong Kong. But they... Um, the Twilight Zone was actually never premiered in that country, so to work away, um, to work their way around it, to still use the mechanics of that ride and idea, they had to create a whole new story. So for that one, that was the, um, the similar to the Mystic Manor where they brought in like a Aztec like 
an Aztec jewel that uh, that really is like an evil spirit in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Disney really, like even the beginning, he really wanted to express the idea that, you know, uh, you can tell it's about telling a story. There's always mm-hmm. some story to tell. And it's uh, everything within Disney um, parks, uh, it's all it's all choreographed. When it comes to the scenery, when it comes to the smells, everything is controlled. You may think you're going on like your own adventure, but it's actually all controlled. When Dis- uh, when Walt made Disneyland Park, he wanted you to be as if you're in the movie. Mm-hmm. In movies, you're being controlled of what you're seeing. You're you're going on the path that the movie wants you to. So Disney, when they were creating Disneyland, and you can also see this in the other parks as well, they base it off like the road system in, in France where you have the central hub and then you have the streets that are aligned along with it. So everything is always controlled and always easily be able to find your way back. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you actually look at, if you go to the hub, that area where the partner statue is right in front of the castle, each entrance to every land is completely different and each of them has something that draws you in whether you want to see the frontier whether you want to see tomorrow or whether you want to go live in a fantasy land everything draws you in and Walt really wanted you to be part of that picture so he placed different markers around like the park um, in each land that represented something so for Fantasyland, it was the castle because every fairy tale starts with a castle. In the frontier, it was about exploration. So you would see your fort when it came to like Adventureland. You would see nothing but jungle. And then tomorrow, you would just see the future. I don't really know how to describe that because it keeps changing, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just say the future. But, um, uh, what's what's also fun about that hub, though, a lot of people believe that now there, there's a marker in front of Sleeping Beauty's castle. A lot of people believe that to be the actual center of Disneyland. That's actually not the center. That was just a marker to, um, that they made um, in, during construction to mark like the, the path itself for Main Street. Mm-hmm. But in itself has no relation to the center, especially with them keep adding lands and expanding. <laughs> it's like, you don't, that's no, the, there's no more center anymore. <laughs> no, the, the center keeps changing and changing and changing. So there's really no true center to the park anymore. But uh, the center cannot hold. Okay. And then there's also the fact that uh, I believe certain points were used as well uh, to design the sight lines. Can you talk about the, actually, can you go into, like, the sight lines for each of the lands? Because I know Disney didn't want to make it look like, oh, you could obviously see the edge of one land and another land. It was almost like you had to blend them seamlessly together. But So it was like, if let's say you were in Adventureland. You could look, look all around you and all you see is jungle. But the trick of the eye, that's the trick of the eye, is you could be looking at, the backside of a building and not even know it because of the sight lines. Did, uh, Walt was very creative of how he was able to hide and keep people so like in this immersive world. He first off they they learned that this one color green 
I, I, I can't remember. Was it just Disney Green, what it is now? I, but, I, think, uh, I, I think the the rumor was it was No CM Green. I think they called no it No CM Green, Disney, yes. No CM Green. <laughs> it, because it blended so well that you when you look at something and there's a pole there that's green, you don't even notice it. And it was very clever how they interpret that, especially if you think about it. If you walk around Disney, you know you're it totally blends in even if it's in the sky and he was very clever about that now disney won't really wanted you to feel where you are so he would control everything so like adventureland he wanted you to feel like you're in like like in an actual bazaar where it's crowded in the marketplace so you'd be so focused on the crowd and like the shops around you they were able to hide like a lot with just using the trees so one fun part is like the um everything itself is always closer than what it seems but a lot of it is just a trick of the eye with simple uh coloring uh simple plants such as like tomorrowland there is a there is actually a uh there's two trees that stand in between tomorrowland and uh and uh, Main Street. But when you look at the trees, you don't even see Space Mountain, even though Space Mountain is, like, right there. Mm. And um, he was very creative, and he also would put extra things to look at in order to draw your eye away. So if you went to, um, if you went to New Orleans Square, there's actually... It's supposed to represent a port, you know, like in New Orleans... If you look at the right spot, you can actually see a mass of a ship as if there's another, like, port right there that Mm. are shipping goods in. Walt really wanted you to feel, so he would find ways to distract you, whether it was by smell, by entertainment, or just by look. He thought of everything. My One of my favorites is always the um, the food Uh, is a good distraction. From pulling you away from things. Like, if you go on Main Street, if you notice, certain smells are stronger than others. Mm -hmm. When you walk down Main Street. So, the middle section is the ice cream. You can smell that fresh waffle cone in the beginning, popcorn. Mm -hmm. And then you have the other smells that kind of are a combination of, like, the the turkey legs and all that. Mm -hmm. These things were um, were all purposely placed. Like, everything you see in Disneyland is not by mistake. It was all choreographed. And that's that's why he would always compare it to just either, like, a dance or, like, the movie. He would find ways to hide things or to blend them in. One of my favorites is also just even small details. If you're walking from uh, New Orleans Square to Frontierland, if you look really closely at the ground, you can see where the the bricks turn into sudden dirt Mm. and rubble if you look at the fences you can see the nice like french architect like fences that suddenly are now just wood and you um every land itself has its own fencing and right where each fence meets another land it changes there's Mm. also a corner in um in where right behind matterhorn where fantasyland meets tomorrowland just small details like that automatically draw your eye and basically hide the fact that they're right next to each other. Even like the Matterhorn, which stands between like Tomorrowland and like Fantasyland, it 
covers up the castle and you don't even realize the castle's right next to it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one thing that like a lot of other um, other theme parks could not gra- um, handle the grass or they couldn't grasp that. And that's why Disney was always ahead of its curve of the curve when it came to entertainment. Everything was always planned. It wasn't just because everything had a meaning. When funny enough, when they first started off, certain rides didn't like they would just start off like with just an idea, like the facade for the Haunted Mansion. They created it before they even came up with the uh, the concept of the Haunted Mansion. He just wanted the mm-hmm. mansion there. Mm-hmm. That they actually pirates and the Haunted Mansion were the reason why New Orleans had to become something. Like it, New Orleans Square wasn't even part of the actual like opening. That's something they had to later um, come up with in order to tie in the two. Mm-hmm. Because why would a haunted uh, haunted uh, house be in like a critter country area? Why would it suddenly be in Main Street USA? Like it's all jolly here, but now it's suddenly scary. <laughs> yeah. And originally, the uh, idea for the haunted mansion was that if it were to have anything any anything in it, it would be a facade for something akin to I think what's what he what I believe he called it was a museum of the weird. It was going to be more or less a walkthrough attraction and experience um, that would take you in certain cer- certain sized groups through the house in, in, a, in an a- interactive tour, so to speak. And it would also showcase these weird, yeah, these weird, strange things, creatures, items from all over the world. And I guess almost like, I I guess for lack of a better word, almost like a sideshow kind of thing without it being a sideshow. Ripley's (laughs) Believe It or Not. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. A Museum of the Weird, and that's what he was, that's what he originally called it. But then, uh, because it became so difficult to try and and choreograph a whole tour, and to, because of the immense crowds that Disneyland brought in, the walking tour had to be scrapped. And they had to basically go go back to the drawing board of what they should do with the ride. And they instead opted to make it a uh, basically a, a, like a people mover system where they had these little buggies. Now you know them as the doom buggies, doom <laughs> as, buggies. Uh, that are constantly moving. And uh, you would get into into those ride vehicles and it would take you slowly through the house. And as you might know... If you've been on Haunted Mansion, uh, which I'm hoping most of you have, but if you've not, I will describe it for you. You get into this Doom buggy, and it will position you in each scene. It will turn your car, or I will turn your car to where you need to look. And that is one of the other ways that uh, Disney kind of controls what you see, because in that, it's like telling a story, and it's telling you where to look. There's nowhere else to look. It's almost like you're supposed to look here. And now you can, your eyes can wander all over the scene and see the little things here and there. But with, uh, yeah, with the Haunted Mansion ride, it became a doom buggy system where it was constantly moving. And it was also one of the more experimental rides because of, you know, the implementation of the Pepper's Ghost effect, which was an old technique, but it was never done in a ride before. And uh, especially at the scale of Haunted Mansion. So that's how they you get the, the ghosts in the ballroom scene dancing around or at the table blowing out the birthday candles on the cake. 
um, it's all a, it was all because of the Pepper's Ghost Effect, which um, is because it's it, it basically is it's, it's almost like a I want to say almost like a smoke and mirrors kind of effect, but it really is all mirrors and reflections that affect what you see because of the perspective of where your car sits, the effect is seen perfectly, uh, and that's how uh, ghosts can appear and disappear uh, at will when they control it and it's also because why you can't see any other reflections you know you can't see where the reflections are coming from it's because you're perfectly aligned to see where the ghost will show up I mean they thought this through everything down to an exact science even like the whole ballroom scene it's actually right underneath you but because you're seeing that effect that you're actually just seeing the ghost itself Mm -hmm. uh Another, um, what's fun about that is that the, um, in the ballroom scene, the, uh, the, if you count the candles on the cake, it's actually 13, because, you know, 13's a lucky number. (laughs) Also, the, um, Disney has an act for, uh, for using a lot of props from their movies. The, where you see the organ in the ballroom scene, that was actually used in, um, in 20, um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. That's right. It was uh, Captain Nemo's organ, right? Mm-hmm. They also used, um, uh, from what I remember, they used the, uh, back when they had the movie with Eddie Murphy, The Haunted mm-hmm. Mansion, they actually used the, uh, the they had two, uh, they had prop chairs, and they actually took two of those chairs, they brought one to Haunted Mansion, and they actually put the other one where Jack Sparrow sits in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, Okay, that I didn't know. I actually learned something new here. <laughs> um, and, uh, so Eddie let's... Murphy sat in that chair where Jack Sparrow yes, is sitting right where Jack, now. <laughs> where, where Eddie Murphy's butt was, that's where Jack Sparrow's butt is now. <laughs> if you guys ship their butts, then there you go. <laughs> the butt shipping. <laughs> the um, the uh, Disney also, like back going back to what we were saying, where he was always using the people who were in his company for Madame Leota, the voice, mm-hmm. Eleanor, um, Eleanor Oddly, I believe her name was. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, uh, she was the voice of Madame Leota. He pulled her from Cinderella, who was, um, Lady Tremaine, um, from, mm-hmm. and also Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty. Yep. And then one of his best friends was the original voice of Tony the Tiger, who's also is a lot of voices within Disneyland as well. He was, uh, he, he's, I think, right? I, yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm horrible. He's always names. like that. He's always <laughs> like that. Like he, um, deep, deep voice. He, cause he looked very similar to Walt, but a lot of people think that the, the singing bus that's knocked over is Walt Disney. It's actually <laughs> Tony the Tiger. <laughs> now, you know, the he's more you know. Great. And then, um, and then the uh, for that for the the na- the proper name of the doom buggies the that type of uh, uh, not it's not a car It's omnimover right yes omnimover yeah I, I knew was I was like, forgetting something I'm like I can't call people I was, I was like no it's I was like it's not it's like what do you call the omnimover is it is it a is it a car is it is it a, just a mover. <laughs> Yeah, it's an omnimover system, and now I realize I'm like it's because people mover was the first thing that came to my mind. Bring it back, anyway. <laughs> At least in Florida, they still have it. Yeah, I, I was lucky to be able to ride it. Uh, I've only been to Disney World once, but uh, 
I was I was very fortunate to be able to ride it there. And what's cool is that uh, if you haven't been to Disney World, dear listeners, uh, the People Mover will take you through certain attractions in Tomorrowland. Uh, so it'll take you through Space Mountain. It'll take you above uh, Space Ranger Spin, which is Astro Blasters in Disneyland. Um, but yeah, the People Mover is not at Disneyland, and uh, there is a interesting history as to why. If you were not born in the 90s, you probably just don't know this part. Um, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh, you know you know the story about the rocket rods? <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. I, I've <laughs> the, actually seen an in-person rocket rod. I was too young to be able to ride rocket rods when it was around in the 90s. But um, that was when they basically took out the people mover cars and they wanted to bring a new attraction to Tomorrowland. So they brought in these cars and put them on the people mover track. <laughs> and they were huge. Uh, and this was rocket rods. It was basically taking multiple people and the car would almost do a wheelie as it takes off from the people mover main station. Uh, the problem is the people movers a slow moving ride. Really slow. And ride. then they tried to put big vehicles on, on the, a track that was made for slower vehicles. So you didn't really have to worry about having to slow down on banking turns. The rocket rods, they took off super fast, but then they would immediately have to brake before making the round on the turn. Why? Because they would have otherwise flown off the track. And in doing <laughs> so, so, they damaged the track. Yep, and, that's, and to the point where the foundation, the concrete foundation was actually crumbling and people almost got hurt because... Concrete was falling on people due to the rocket to the rocket rods <laughs> causing so much tension and stress. Um, so rocket rods was shut down, and plus it, the ride kept having technical difficulties. It rarely ever worked. Um, but there is some footage if you actually go to um, I believe it's on his channel too. If you go to Carter Sauce on YouTube, he actually has almost like because he has footage from his old camcorders and stuff, because he did work at the parks. Um, he had camcorder footage of the rocket rods working. So if you wanted to look online, you can see how it worked. Uh, and you can see how big... I actually was able to see a, a, a full vehicle at... Uh, if you've ever heard of the That's for that's from Disneyland auction, that was from a couple of years ago. Uh, took place in Sherman Oaks back in 2018. Uh, this one guy had all these items from Disneyland that he'd... Uh, basically had a whole collection of uh, of items that were all from Disneyland and Disney World, uh, and he was auctioning off, auctioning them off to help uh, fund like medical care for his daughter and to help fund research on her illness. And basically, it was it was all in good stuff. But the, the display of all these items was free. It's a free show for people to look at. And there was a rocket rod that he actually had, <laughs> and it was a huge vehicle. I still it, my mind still boggles at the fact that they put this on the people mover track. <laughs> <laughs> what could possibly go wrong and so that's why, that's why there's up, no right? people, yeah that's why there's no people mover in tomorrowland and given how expensive it would be to replace the track uh unfortunately it's not looking like disney will replace it or fix it anytime soon uh so gotta work I mean, on marvel land that's why <laughs> gotta hold out hope though at some point if they can bring back the people mover i don't wear my people mover shirt for nothing <laughs> 
Which is funny, because I've actually seen an increase of merch for the People Mover recently, like, within Disneyland, and I'm just like, what is going on? Is this a sign? <laughs> I would only hope. It's it's the cult. <laughs> you know, they're going to sneak into Disneyland when it's closed and, like, slowly work on the People Mover until it's operational, and then the, the Disney employees will just be like, did you guys know that the People Mover is working? It's just like, when did that happen? It's just like... It was a secret. No, like, after the virus ends, we're all going to go back to Disney, and then suddenly the people move is there back. <laughs> like, that's what they were doing all along. Coronavirus was started by It Disney, was just so a distraction. <laughs> That'd be a good time to build to fix it, though, because, you know, I don't, I don't know when the park will ever be, like, indefinitely closed this long, like, ever again in the future, unless there's some kind of apocalypse again. I mean, well, we're not that yeah. far from zombies, right? Yeah, you know. I, I mean, I saw The Walking fine. Dead. <laughs> we got animatronics. That's like similar, right? We're gonna That's have five, a five nights at Freddy's territory. Yeah, I was say, we're gonna have a five nights at Freddy situation on our hands if if we're not careful. Uh, <laughs> oh no! Someone shot Abe Lincoln. Oh no! <laughs> uh, okay, to kind of round it out, because I I just I, you guys were having your tangents, so I wanted to like let you let you be. Um, so Ariel, what are some good tips and tricks for people that to have a really like to What's, how do I elaborate? How Make sure they're spending their time most efficiently through Disneyland, I guess? My, from what I have experienced and have seen, a lot of people don't realize that I can plan ahead of time. You can plan. <laughs> definitely, especially if it's your first time going to Disneyland, you definitely want to look into what you want to do rather than wandering around like a headless chicken. Like, if you have your heart set on eating at the Blue Bayou, or you want to go to the Cantina or Carnation Cafe, make sure you place your reservations. Disney allows you to re- um, to reserve up to 60 days in advance um, for a lot of things, whether it's like the attractions and then Galaxy's Edge to a restaurant or anything that requires reservation, you can do it up to 60 days in advance. So the moment you know, place that reservation ahead of time, especially during the summer. Don't want to miss that because then... Don't be mad if we can't get you into, like, a certain location or anything like that. Um, Disneyland, unlike other theme parks, they actually do allow you to bring in, like, food and water. Um, And fun fact, they actually allow you to bring in alcohol if you're going to Club 33. But that's a separate (laughs) story. But don't bring alcohol. (laughs) But um, bring water. It's totally worth it. Like, don't be afraid to bring in water and food. Uh, Disney is very understandable. I mean, you're... I mean, who doesn't want to eat the food and drink there anyways? But (laughs) definitely stay hydrated. Very important. Um, Don't pack too heavy. Like, make sure you're packing light. A lot of, like, do try to take into consideration that when you're riding rides, you do have to bring your bag in. Now, you have the option to rent out a locker, but try to bring a bag in of just the essentials, especially if you're planning to buy things. So, like, your, obviously your phone, your wallet, you know, if you have baby stuff, bring that. Um, there's a lot of people who just bring their laptops for no reason. And then they're like, why did my laptop break? And I'm like, well, it's because you kind of brought a laptop to Disney from, and rode a bunch of rides. I there's also edit pe- my videos is there, is there Wi-Fi in Disney? Is there Wi-Fi? Yeah, there's Wi-Fi within yeah. the park. Okay. Not the strongest Wi-Fi, but there's Wi-Fi. Although I've noticed that it's <laughs> a lot stronger compared to what it used to be, which is nice. Ooh, um, yeah. Tell them about the uh, about the uh, Galaxy's Edge, about the uh, Rise of the Resistance. Uh, tell them about how the the the, uh, 
the lottery system works for the for boarding. Funny enough, they were actually going to stop that system before the virus happened. Oh, which seriously? Probably, yeah, they were. It was in talks um, online and everything that they were going to remove it because you know they were doing so well. But you know now that everyone's going to be so hyped to go on it. <laughs> but basically, what you want to do when you do um, when you do Galaxy's Edge or or even if you do go to like the Florida one, it's not about being technically on property. So even if you're in the in between of like the parks, you actually ha- you actually have to physically be on Disneyland like itself. So you have to actually go through the ticket line and be within the gates. So once you're in that, you basically want to be there right before opening, camp out a bit. Um, if you know where the cell phone towers are, try to stand um, close to one of those. Um, I usually recommend try not to be on the Wi-Fi at that time, since everyone else is going to be on the Wi-Fi. If you have good Wi-Fi on your phone uh, with your 4G or whatever company you use, uh, use that. Um, you want to refresh or open the app right when it strikes 8 o'clock at opening. Um, and you don't want to have everyone like in your within your party. So let's say there's four of you. You want to have everyone's ticket at least on one phone rather than you all individually doing it. Because the phone app itself actually recognizes that you are within a group. And if you can get yourself into a boarding group um, from the lottery, it'll put you together. If you do it on individual phones, there's a good chance one or most of you won't even make it. So mm-hmm. make sure if you're going to try to do that, if you're going to go on Rise of the Resistance, make sure you have everyone's ticket on one phone. And then if you are accepted, make sure you hit that group button that all of your names are selected for those tickets to be put into that group together. Um, I also recommend that definitely use your phone. A lot of Disney is is definitely moving towards the direction of technology since most people in general have phones. Like, in Florida, it's all about magic bands. They're basically eliminating the ability to use cash. Disneyland mm. is kind of becoming that. They're trying to push more for mobile order. Um, they're trying to push more towards like reservations being online and being through your phone and fast passes. Definitely before you enter or go to the park, definitely get the mobile app because you can plan beforehand. As mm-hmm. I said, plan as, as soon as you know you're going to go. Now, if you're just going for just a day, then that's like if you're just like a local that's different but if you're definitely really new to disney or still learning definitely try to plan in advance get the app and you can actually plan according to your day and definitely take uh advantage of the fast pass system mm-hmm. the fast pass system allows you to um to pick up a ticket to go on one ride and then come back um come back later to do it while you can ride a different one that may not be as busy um it's usually anywhere between every two to three hours you can pick up another fast pass if you buy for $15 a max pass, uh, you can actually pick up more tickets and mm-hmm. you can do it from your phone itself. So especially if you're someone who likes to take photos, like whether it's on the rides with characters or at the photo op areas, wherever you see a photographer, definitely put the investment in to get that the max pass. It's definitely worth it. Yeah, because that all comes with yeah, es- es- Yeah, especially, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's worth it for the pa- fast pass alone that you can just do it on your phone because you save... So much time and so much walking. No one likes to walk mm-hmm. excessively because you're already walking a lot. Don't do not do it. <laughs> yeah. Run while you can. Okay. Um, what, what, what are we looking at for time? 
Um, yeah. Do you have any? I have a couple of questions. Do you have any questions, Lauren? Uh, no, I don't think so. What are the questions you have? Oh, I was like, Ariel, tell me about how people dump their 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 mom's cremated remains on. <laughs> That's not allowed anymore. They you're not allowed. They no. will stop you from doing that. They will. Okay, if they see yeah, you. Yeah, they had to close down Pirates, and they had to close down Haunted Mansion. I forget when they did this, but they actually had to close down, and now that's one of the many items, such as, well, not many, some of the items, like uh, selfie sticks, are not allowed within the park. Because it does okay, it so does mess up the uh, it does mess up the systems and the rides. So okay, don't ruin yeah, other but, people's but, fun. I, I understand that you want to do it. Just don't dump it on a ride. Don't dump, don't mom, don't Unless dump you want them vacuumed the up at the end of the day on, on Haunted Mansion, just don't do it. And go straight in the trash. <laughs> just uh, put the soul within a, like an empty jar, you know, put in the jar and then open the jar at Disney. <laughs> Set yeah. them free. Or just like, just just have, have a locket or something with them and you can, they can be with you in spirit. Ah, you get it? Because Haunted Mansion. Hey, make it 1,000 hey. instead of 999. <laughs> <laughs> um do they like can they tell like well i'm sure they can tell what urns are but do they like can they tell what like the containers are? um well anyway you do, get, you do have this security so <laughs> yeah just like tell me about all the all the cremated remains I'm just like this is a disneyland episode i'm just like i still want to know about the morbid stuff because <laughs> i'm weird um lauren do you have any other questions um favorite park food Ooh. Depends on the season, but my go-to, gosh, now are we talking about just overall, or are we going to go into the different, like, sections, like, restaurant versus cart? Go ahead and go into the different (laughs) sections, because, yeah, there's always something good out of every section, so, uh, yeah, how about that? I have to say, my favorite food when it comes to the restaurants is the the Blue Bayou uh, Jambalaya. Mm. I it's so amazing and it's like the hardiest portion too when it comes to quick service I would have to say the golden horseshoe uh chili fries mm. um it's also because it was Walt chili was Walt Disney fa- uh, favorite food oh. so I love chili so their their fries are amazing chili is good and then when it comes to the cart food I would have to say the chimichangas the chimichangas are really good I've seen them. They they're like really big. So it's just like uh yeah, I'm like I was wondering if they were how good they were. I've heard they're good, but it's yeah. They may not look the prettiest, but if you take a bite into those, oh, so good. Like I can't even, I don't even know how time. to describe it. Do it. So good. It's but a when fried it comes burrito. to the classic. Yeah, it's a fried burrito. It's like you can't go wrong with that. It's a burrito and it's fried. Like what more can you want? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But classic-wise, when it comes to the park foods, I have to say the Mickey, uh, the Mickey bar, the Mickey ice cream mm. bar. They, uh, uh, for cast members, they um, at the end of the year they always give cast members like uh, little gifts, and there was food coupons. And on the last day, I um, I stayed extra to help because uh, there was a special event going on, and I really wanted to help create magic for someone. And so I only had two hours left in the park. So in two hours, I shoved about 10 items in my mouth. And 
<laughs> it was the hardest thing because certain items are only available in certain parts of the park. Mm. Like, I actually didn't know this, but the pretzels are only within two areas. Like, you can only get it in two sections of the park, and that's one in Frontierland and one in Fantasyland. Really? So, you, uh, I literally had to run <laughs> all the way I'm curious. to go get one. <laughs> Do they still sell? Because I remember for a while when they were like the hot topic of uh, discussion, uh, the quote, I say quote because they aren't the official name, but the quote Dole Whip Donuts that were sold at like one cart. And I think it was in Tomorrowland. I never personally, I never personally saw them ever at Disney. I know for a fact, because I know for a fact they did it in Florida as for Disney, I heard it was actually sold at the hotel, like oh, at Tiki really? Sam's or something. Oh, Trader because Sam's, really? Okay. Your Trader Sam's, yes. I always think it's Tiki. <laughs> it is Tiki. It's all. Stuff. It's, it's. I like it's a bunch of Tiki's. I actually have one of the Tiki's on my desk right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, yeah, Dole. All the Dole Whip stuff is strictly in Adventureland. As for like the specialty items, I think that one was at least in the hotel. But for sure, most of the time you see like a Dole Whip item itself, it's generally Florida that has it. Florida has more food options, I believe, compared to more uh, Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, especially because they also have like Dole Whip, like hard Dole Whip and everything like that as well in Florida, since they ha- their alcohol license is everywhere, while Disney it's literally small areas like well, Club Thirty Three yeah. or the Cantina. Walt, well, Walt was originally like pressured into into implementing alcohol at the park at all because he didn't want the park to become like a carnival where people were like openly drinking and stuff like that but then because of pressure from sponsors he's like okay fine if we make this club and we like make it a place it's the only place you can drink alcohol you so you don't have to openly drink it in the park will you do that they're like okay (laughs) so club 33 was born of that (laughs) What's fun, actually, something I learned recently is that technically uh, Disneyland itself does have an open an open license for alcohol, kind of like California Adventures. They only allow it when they serve it on events. So I think like when they did the 80s night, they actually mm. had an open bar, I think, in Fantasyland. Because I know the gummy bear drink, I think it was, was one of the more popular items during that night. Ooh. Like you can technically pick it up anywhere within the park if they're hosting an event. But other than that, like, no other location does sell alcohol besides Club 33 and the Cantina. Mm. But Disneyland technically does have the alcohol license. So it's hard to say that maybe in the future they might open it up eventually. But I honestly doubt it. And I would actually would be happy they continue to keep it this way because yeah. it really does interfere. And it doesn't fit the atmosphere. Because, like, in California Adventures, it's, like, you're within California itself. So it makes more sense to have, like... Your ability to walk in and out while mm-hmm. Disneyland, it's you're in your land kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, with California Adventure too, it was like you'll it's kind of like it's off putting when you walk into an area and then you just smell beer. It's not because I mean, I don't know, even people who drink beer, I know they're just like, oh, it doesn't smell the best. I'm like, yeah, because you walk into a, a Disney park and that's not the smell you're expecting to smell, you're expecting. The waffle cones on on Main Street. You're expecting popcorn. You're expecting churros. You're expecting. Oh, all I'm of getting that. hungry. Why <laughs> <laughs> like, I go for a churro right now or Dole Whip? Oh God, in this heat, I could go for a Dole churros. Whip. Are actually the most sold uh, items, I believe, uh, when it comes to food at the park. 
And it's because and it's because of Videopolis in the 1980s that uh, churros were implemented too, right? It was like a cast member who thought of adding the churro cart outside of uh, Videopolis to sell to all the kids that were going to this. Okay, Videopolis for all you, all you who don't know, Videopolis was a dance club in the 1980s, which was, I mean, dance clubs were all the rage in the 1980s too. So there, I mean, Knott's Berry Farm had some, Six Flags had them, and then Disney had it. They had their own called Videopolis. Um, and it's because of Videopolis pretty much that, uh, because the kids needed some snack food and something that was sugary and, and warm and something that, you know, a kid couldn't resist, a teenager couldn't resist it was a churro. And so basically there came the idea of implementing the churro cart right outside Videopolis, which was towards the back of the park. And, um, yeah. And, I believe where Fantasyland Theater is, correct? Exactly. That's where they had it? Yeah. yeah. And actually, when 80s night came around, they turned Fantasyland Theater back into Videopolis just for that night. And it bummed me out that I never got to see it. But <laughs> I lived vicariously through everyone's videos of it. But, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but it was, it was, it, it but yeah. That, so it's because of Videopolis that actually the churros ended up not only becoming popular and becoming an icon of Disney land, but then they quickly spread to the other Disney parks. So there you go. <laughs> and so forth, the churro was born. <laughs> and that's the, that's the, I, I guess we can end it on that note. Churro. <laughs> that was a lot of rambling. I, I totally did not play absolutely you guys just rambled. <laughs> You know, it was good rambling. I would hope it's it informative for people who don't know a lot of that Disney trivia stuff. I would hope it is. Darn, I still had five pages of notes left. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll save those. We might have you back another time for, like, more in-depth We'll history. do it a part two. But yeah. Do part two, like, rip. So, where, Ariel, where can the people find you if they want to, like, bother you on social media? They can find me on Twitter. Um, Showtime and Cole is my handle. I actually do post a lot of Disney updates on there, um, like for when I do cast events and everything like that. I actually have, um, when Rise of the Resistance was released, uh, I actually posted the entire ride and everything. So sometimes you'll uh, you'll you'll see updates on there. Uh, I'm actually starting a, pr- a Disney project on there too for art, so I'm kind of excited for that one um, in honor of us being closed. So. Really looking forward. If you ever want Disney updates or um, you have any questions about Disneyland, uh, just hit me up. I'm always online. I don't sleep. <laughs> um, if you, I'm always, when it is open, I'm always at the park. So if you ever catch me at the park, say hi. I'm usually, Be like, hi. I'm, just, I'm usually wearing like a bunch of Disney gear. I have my little Porg and then I have like my giant Porg like in the front, <laughs> like in a baby harness along with my pirate hat. So you can easily find me. Yeah. <laughs> I will give you a like, personal you're tour. That, you're that you're that chick from from KP's podcast. You'll be like, yeah. So I'm the one who just kept rambling about Disney stuff. I mean, you have every right to. I mean, I mean, this is sometimes. I mean, that's I keep on saying this. But that's what podcasts are for: is just to ramble. And you know, if people don't like it, they can skip to the next episode because they don't have to be here, right? We appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to our yes. podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, thanks for coming. Um, that's what she said. Um, so, if you're new here, please um, go back and watch some new episodes or listen to some episodes. We have a good chunk of episodes at this point. I think this is our 10th episode. Woo! Yay. 
Um, and then we post new episodes every week on Wednesdays, 6 a.m. Eastern on SoundCloud and Spotify or whatever the heck you use for your podcast things, iTunes, whatever. Um, and then if you don't know how to podcast, then you can find us on YouTube. And it's free regardless, except it's not free for me. I have to, I have to pay for SoundCloud cream, Prime or what the, what the hell ever. So <laughs> That's yeah, okay. enjoy it on my dime. There you go, guys. <laughs> All right, we'll see you. We'll see you next week. <laughs> All right, bye guys. <laughs> bye. Thank you so much for listening to Animation Communication on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. We are really hoping this show makes a difference in how people view animation and media as well as giving and providing advice for people all over the world who like or want to join the animation or media industry. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe and rate those five stars, as well as tell your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our main YouTube channel, I Love Kim Possible A Lot, and turn those notifications on. My name is Scribbler, and you have been listening to Animation Communication.